Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Kim. Hi, everybody. I'm Kim, and I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm grateful to God for this program and grateful to all of you to be here in the heat, sitting here to, um, you know, share in my recovery. So thank you for being here. I'm, uh, I still don't like being hot unless I have a very good reason, and that Jim's one of them. But, um, you know, I'm grateful today not to have an extra 80 pounds on while I'm standing here sweating. I'm grateful that I don't have any abrasions on my body from my elastic and my clothes digging in, that I don't have a rash in between my thighs from them rubbing together in the heat. So I'm, I'm grateful for my recovery, physical and spiritual, as I stand here with you today. Um, Chris, is it Kristen from Kansas City? I'm from Kansas City, too. Welcome from Kansas City. Um, Kansas City is where I started eating, and I was within L.A. a very long time before I stopped. So, welcome. Um, I'm Kache, Megan, and Rick. Congratulations on being here. Walking through that door is one of the most terrifying things I've ever done, and I'm so grateful that I did it, and welcome. Mike, congratulations on 60 days and surviving a trip home. Mike, I was just in Kansas City, and the first thing I do is, like, look in the cabinets in the refrigerator to see what's there when I go home. And those patterns of behavior of compulsive overeating started in childhood, and they they run deep. And my family pushes all my buttons, too. Um, What it was like, what happened, and what I'm like now. Um, I've been a compulsive overeater my entire life. My mom said that when I, I was a premature infant, but my mom said from the time I started eating, I wouldn't stop until she stopped feeding me. Like, I don't have an off switch when it comes to food. And um, <clears throat> I'm definitely an addict. Food, especially sugar, was my first addiction for sure. Um, but if you're struggling with drugs and alcohol, sexual behavior, spending money, chain smoking, you're, you're still in the right place because um, I've noticed that a lot of us might have some cross-addictive issues, but food is my first addiction and the last one that I was um, willing to even take a look at. Um, you know, my whole childhood centered around food, especially sugar. My best friend owned her parents on the Dairy Queen, and that's why she was my best friend. Um, I went... I went to the swimming pool to go to the confession stand. Why are you talking to me? I'm trying to order. I did the same thing, you know, at the skating rink. Um, I chased the ice cream truck down the street when I wasn't supposed to be out after dark. Like, I did anything my entire eating career to get my fix. And, you know, sugar, food in general, but especially sugar, was my way to numb out. I, I was a very delicate child. Um, and I still am. Is anyone else sensitive around here? Anyone get the feelings hurt easily? Um, yeah, so it worked. Like it helped suppress, push down those those hurt feelings and those painful feelings. Um, my mom 
was like the greatest codependent in the world, co-signed everything I ever said or did, and loved me unconditionally, and is definitely the reason I'm still alive. My dad, Archie Bunker, pointed out everything I ever did wrong, and um, and just, you know, he, he grew up in an alcoholic home, and he didn't know how to communicate love other than taking care of us. Like, he was a protector and a provider, and that's enough. You should get straight A's and do everything I tell you to the way that you should, you know, damn it. And um, and I, I just felt like I tiptoed around as a kid, like, trying to do everything right. And I know that I'm not blaming my father because I know that that's in my head, too. As a compulsive overeater, I have this monkey mind, this, this sense of impending doom, like, racing thoughts, like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm not smart enough, I'm not... I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. You're going to ask me a question in class, and I'm going to look stupid, and no one's ever going to ask me out, and I'm never going to have a career. Like, just like all those insane thoughts of self-doubt. Because my disease of compulsive overeating lives right here in my gut. Like, it's that scared little girl that thinks I'm not enough. I'm I'm not pretty enough. I'm smart enough. I'm thin enough. And... When I'm in my diseased mind, there's never going to be enough. There's never going to be a thin enough or, you know, a good enough job or enough attention. There's just never enough. I have a disease that tells me more is better. If one is good, ten is ten times as good. And that's the way that that I was with food. And, um, you know, when we talk about addiction, alcoholic eating, I mean, first... I have a physical allergy of the body. There are certain foods that when I put them in my body, I have an allergic reaction that sets off the phenomenon of craving, and I cannot stop no matter what. And my abstinence is um, three meals a day and up to two snacks. And um, I don't eat any kind of sweets, like recreational sugar. I don't eat the fake stuff either. That's just me. Like, I might be able to eat a fat-free, sugar-free, dairy-free, frozen product and not be triggered, but I might. What if I, you know, I might be triggered. So, to me, it's just not worth it. You don't want to catch me alone in a room with a mango, though, because I still get a little, I can, like, peel it and I hold it, like, eat it right off the pit. There's some things I still don't eat, like a lady that that I don't eat very often, but sugar and chips and crackers, like anything salty, crunchy, greasy, I inhale that stuff. I, that's what I check out with, and if I had a dollar for every time I like got to the bottom of a box or a bag and was like, holy crap, where did it, it's gone, where'd it go? I ate it all, that's where it went, so those foods I, um, I never never dip into anymore and you know I would like to stand up here and say I've I've done this perfectly for the last seven and a half years and I'm like the poster child for OA but the truth is the only thing I've done perfectly is never break my abstinence and keep coming to meetings and being willing to continue doing this work because when I got here I wanted to be thin that's the only I was tired of yo-yo dieting and being overweight and I came here to lose weight and I had no idea how many underlying issues how many spiritual maladies I had that were the reason that I ate and you know the spiritual malady is another 
part of my disease, that, that voice that tells me I'm not enough and something's going to fix A fix is going to fix it. And, um, and a fix would fix it temporarily, but by the time I got here, it had stopped working. Um, I've tried every diet plan on the planet, and you know what? There are a lot of really healthy diet plans that for a normal person work really well. And, you know, I've been at Goal Weight at Weight Watchers probably six times, and every time I walked through the door, I was either up 60 or 80 pounds or I was down 60 or 80 pounds again. So I was either, like, getting the big clap or, or like, Normal people don't gain 60 or 80 pounds in a few months. And, you know, I would see family or friends or whoever, and when I would walk in, people would be like, oh, my God, you look amazing. Or they'd be like, oh, my God. I mean, it's good to see you, you know, because I gained 60 pounds in three months, you know. And um, that's what I'm a binge eater, hardcore, yo-yo dieter. You know, I found out after I got here that I'm an exercise bulimic. Do you know that normal people don't eat a whole pizza and then go do three hours of cardio thinking they're going to burn it off or starve themselves the whole rest of the day? Um, normal people don't think like that. Normal people, you know, I, I injured my hand and I, I haven't been able to work out for six weeks and I'm up a few pounds from where I was. And, and you know, my compulsive overeater brain's like, you can't go speak it, light a candle, that beacon of recovery, stand up, you're huge. And you know what? That proves to me that this disease is alive and well in my brain. And if I don't continue to do the work, it's, it's, wait, it's like a ninja. It's waiting to kick my, can I say ass? At any moment. It is. It's, it's, it's waiting for me. And, um, and I have to do the work to keep the recovery. So I did all this dieting, you know, Weight Watchers and the cabbage soup diet. I took every dietary supplement. Like, does anyone remember the ones that, like, the all-natural ones, but it was like ephedra and caffeine that would give you a heart attack? Like, for someone already prone to anxiety, you know, taking herbal speed is not the best plan. Like, ah! Like, I was a crazed mad woman all the time, and a little touchy, but the truth is, all of those things worked in some capacity for some amount of time. Like, I was a, I was a dieting pro. Like, I could white-knuckle it and lose weight really fast, but I never, kept, I never kept it off before program. Like, I would be... Down, 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 and then immediately up, 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 up. I remember I did that Body for Life body transformation contest one year. Lost like 36 pounds in 12 weeks. You know, got my spray tan and took my pictures. And I gained 18 pounds back in less than two weeks. Like right after the photo session, I went, I was binging. And, and normal people don't really reward themselves with food for losing weight. I've, I've discovered that's not how they celebrate. <laughs> um, but I did. So, you know, I I mentioned that I might have some other addictions, and, and I had 10 years of actively working the steps in another program and a lot of spiritual recovery before I could even look at the food thing. 
this this was my first love, my biggest comfort. How dare you? I give up everything else. How dare you try to take it away from me? I'm like a petulant child. Like I gave up, you know, drugs and alcohol and chain smoking and sports sex and spree spending and now you want me to give up cupcakes like how could you like I thought you were trying to make me do something like I, I protected my compulsive overeating to the death and it could have led to my death you know I um all that gaining and losing weight I I was on two antidepressants before I got here I was on blood pressure medication um, I was on acid reflux medication from all the GERD, from all the binging. Um, ladies, a little pelvic prolapse action going on from, you know, the, the gynecologist said, how many babies have you had? And when I said none, he was like, huh? You gain and lose 80 pounds enough times, it, it pretty much treats your body like, like having children. So, I mean, there were a lot of medical things going on when I got here. And... Um, but the spiritual sickness is what finally made me willing to come here. Like, I just didn't have one more binge in me. I just couldn't do it one more time. I couldn't hate myself that much one more day. I mean, this is such a self-deprecating disease for me. You know, I would look in the mirror and be like, You bad bitch, what's wrong with you? You're hideous. You're disgusting. Like, I would never talk to you that way. But my disease allowed me to talk to me that way. And that's exactly how I felt about myself. You know, my whole self-worth was based on my weight and what other people thought of me. Like it was some kind of contest in my head. I would look around the room and be like, okay, she's thinner than me. She's prettier than me. She's younger than me. Like everything was a contest and I was always keeping score. So in recovery... It can't be about the number on the scale. It can't be about the size in my clothes. I would buy clothes I didn't like because it had a smaller number on the tag. Like, that's crazy. I can't count calories. I can't count points. I can't, I can't make it about the numbers. Um, when I was new, my, my sponsor kept saying, do the spiritual work and the physical recovery will follow and I was like no tell me I mean what should I be eating how much should I be eating how often should I be eating how many times should I be working out you know I wanted the magic formula but that's my disease is trying to figure out the magic formula and it really is true once I start doing the spiritual program of action in Overeaters Anonymous that the, the physical recovery is is a side benefit and it's a nice side benefit, don't get me wrong, but it's not my primary focus anymore. Um, you know, when I got here, I was, I remember doing my first inventory with my first OA sponsor, and she was like, oh, you're a people pleaser with low self-esteem. And I was like, what is she, what? And she was so right. You know, working the steps in the other program, I started I, I mean, I started treating other people differently. I started having love and respect and tolerance for other people, but that hadn't spread into my, my world and my, my beliefs on me. And even today, like, I love and accept you exactly where you are, whether you're abstinent or not, whether you're goal weight or not. I'm like, I love and accept you unconditionally. And so my job today is working to love and accept myself unconditionally as well and some days I do better you know better at it than others but um, you know first off 
I had to have a sponsor work me through through the steps of Overeaters Anonymous. I tried to surrender food in my other program. God, please, please remove the desire to binge eat. Amen. I don't mean it, really. I don't want to give it up yet. You know, I had to come here. You're my people. I had to come here and work the steps of Overeaters Anonymous. And um, I love the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's like somebody followed me around with a pen and paper and and documented my life. Um, I do everything alcoholically. and But I also love our literature. You know, the, the OA 12 and 12. I mean, it's so specific to food, and it's in modern language, and I just really connected with it. And, you know, the first time I read Step 2 in the OA 12 and 12, and I realized other people dragged food out of the trash like I did. That wasn't just me. It was such a relief. I mean, normal people don't do that either. Like, you know, they're in the trash. Like, oh, it was still wrapped in plastic. It's fine. It's not actually dirty. The only thing I've thrown in the trash was coffee grounds since I put those in there. It's actually fine to eat it. You know, like normal people don't cut the mold off of cheese and eat the rest of the block. Like they just don't do that. And, you know, it talks about in the big book the incomprehensible demoralization of our addiction. And that was definitely the case for me. Like I, I had eaten myself into oblivion and I just couldn't live that way anymore. And it was so important to start letting in the love when I came in these rooms. There is unconditional love and acceptance in Overeaters Anonymous that I haven't even seen in other 12-step programs. I mean, they're all good. They're all good. But there's some extra deep connection, loving element here that is so safe that I can tell you my deepest, darkest secrets and I know you love me anyway. Like, there is no judgment. And, um, I started letting that love in, and I stopped. The first thing I had to do was just stop the abuse out loud. Like, I stopped calling myself dirty, horrible, fat names out loud. And I started working the steps. And my sponsor also told me if I did, did esteemable things, it would build self-esteem. So, you know, thank you to everyone who has a commitment at this meeting and honors it. You know, thank you for all of the outreach calls just thank you for showing up and being part of each other's recovery like it's all so important that we're here for each other um i knew what my alcoholic foods were when i got here like there was no mystery to me and i'm i'm really grateful like in my other program i didn't have to figure out which drinks i could drink okay once in a while and which ones i couldn't have at all like it's very black and white and i think it takes a whole different level of courage and honesty to walk in here and admit what our alcoholic foods are. Like, you know, we have to really get honest with ourselves about it. I don't have to, you know. I can hang on to foods and try to, you know, work with it. Um, but my alcoholic foods from the very beginning, that was my abstinence, it was very clear. I have yellow light. I mean, those are my red, red light foods. I definitely have yellow light foods, too. There are cheesy, sexy, delicious things that I might eat once every few months when I'm out but would not have delivered to my house. I cannot be trusted alone 
with large copious amounts of sexy food. That's just not, you know what, it just makes me uncomfortable. Maybe if I was in fit spiritual condition, I would be okay and I could eat a serving every day for four days. But maybe not. Like, I just, I don't want to be, I don't want to be left alone with my alcoholic food, or not alcoholic foods, but yellow light foods. And it really, I have to be honest with myself about where I am spiritually. Like, if I'm out eating with my girlfriends, am I in fit spiritual condition to share those dishes with them? Or do I need to order my own food and keep it on my side of the table? You know, it's different on different days. Um, My abstinence date is November 13th of 2010. I'm down about 80 pounds from my top weight. Um, it's the first time in my entire life I've kept the weight off. And I'm not on a diet. I don't eat diet foods. I don't eat fat-free, sugar-free, space-age, polymer <laughs> insanity like I did when I was dieting. Like, I, I ate all that stuff, and I, and I couldn't stop eating it. I eat normal, healthy foods. I eat sexy foods every once in a while, and um, and then I just get on with my day. I, I can't believe now how many hours of the day I spent obsessing about food. What am I going to eat? Where am I going to eat it? How am I going to buy it? Who saw me eat it? Can I get more without anyone seeing me get it? Like, you know, can I get my pants on for work tomorrow if I have it? Like, like can I get to the gym and work out enough time to burn it off? Like all of that insanity, and I had, I had sizes four through twenty in my closet. Like I never knew what would fit. I, I just wrestling around on the bed trying to get jeans zipped, cussing myself out. Like I can just go get dressed today, and that's why right now, you know, up a few pounds. I know that I'm just insane. Yeah, I, I'm up a few pounds, but I'm, but my clothes fit. Like my clothes fit. I'm not I'm not up eighty pounds. I do have a healthy fear of gaining all my weight back and I think that's a good thing. Like if I if if I get a little slippery anywhere, you know, like go on vacation and think I'm on vacation you know, it's not an open license to eat. When I go home to Kansas City, holy hell, the barbecue. Woo, you know? It's if things get too sexy or a little slippery I have, to, I have to put myself in check. I have to talk about it with my sponsor. And I just kind of have to redirect myself gently a little bit. I don't have to beat myself up today. I don't have to freak out about it. It's just a little bit of a redirect. And, you know, I did a lot of spiritual work for 10 years working with Steps in another program. But now, without the food fog, without that haze between me and the world, I am so fully present and connected and that is such a beautiful thing and such an overwhelming terrifying thing at the same time sometimes but the good news is if if I'm doing the work eating doesn't sound like the solution Um, I just got back from Kansas City I'd been there for a couple months my mom was diagnosed with ALS in December it progressed really, really quickly, and her, her funeral was on the 24th. Um, getting to show up and be present, I, I am a mama's girl to the bone. Like, I love her so much. And to get to show up and be 
fully present, to not make it about me, to be of service to her and to the rest of my family, to take care of her through the end of her life is the greatest honor in, of my entire lifetime. And it was, it was so scary and painful. That is my greatest fear in the world, losing my mother. And I'm telling you, I just walked through it absently. So I know for sure, no matter what we're going through, someone else in the room has been through it and can hold my hand, and I can get through it absently. Um, while I was in Kansas City, the neighbor's dog attacked me, and I got sepsis in my hand. And so three days after my mother died, I was having emergency surgery and then going to the hospital every day to get intravenous IV drug treatment. I mean, in, I've been through three rounds of antibiotics that have torn my guts to bits. And, you know, I had to change my food up a little bit. And you want to talk about an opportunity to surrender fully and ask for help. I've just been through it. You know, through my entire recovery, I've, I've been, you know, holding my hand out, asking you how I can help you. How can I help you? How can I be a service? What can I do? And I was brought to my knees in a way I never have been before, and I had to ask for help like like my hair was on fire, and I was willing to do that. Um, I have a great support system here. You know, my sponsor, my sponsees, all of my sisters. You know, I was getting Marco Polo, you know, messages and Facebook messages and texts and phone calls. People were bringing me phone meetings. Like, it was amazing the outpouring of love and support that, that I got as I was walking through that. And I got to know people at OA meetings in Kansas City. You know, I'm, I'm a little arrogant about our LA recovery. I'm like, there are good meetings anywhere else. You know what? I found some amazing meetings in Kansas City. And those people surrounded me and held me up and lifted me up and carried me through it. I, um, a couple days before my mom died, I called in a phone meeting because I, you know, I couldn't leave the house because I, I knew she could pass at any time, and I didn't want to leave. And so I called in for a phone meeting, and they said, "Is there anyone on the line who has more than six months of abstinence?" And out of 34 people on the line, I was the only one. And God gave me the opportunity to step up and say yes, and be of service and share my story. And I was emotional, and I'm not sure it totally made sense. But I got texts from those people, you know. And I love this Light a Candle meeting and the podcast. I, I've had people from all over Los Angeles tell me, oh, Kim, you're Kim. I heard you on the podcast. People from around the country when I traveled for work. Oh, my God, are you Kim from L.A.? I'm like, that's crazy. Like, that's how much influence our recovery can have on other people. Like, we get to carry this message to each other and to other groups, and throughout the city, throughout the world. I mean, we spoke together at the birthday party. The birthday party, if you haven't been, is phenomenal. This was my first one. Um, and it was, it was absolutely a spiritual experience. I met people from all over the world who put their, their recovery in Overeaters Anonymous before everything else and were willing to pull their own covers and do some new work and change and grow. Um, I went to a, a group where a woman in, I think she was in her late 70s or early 80s when she started meditating after taking care of her 
cousin who had Alzheimer's was teaching a meditation class. And so whenever I'm judging my program, you don't meditate enough. You should do this more. You should do that more. I get to see other people's examples and just give it a go. Like this woman started meditating in her late 70s, and now she's in her early 80s teaching meditation to other recovering compulsive overeaters. How amazing is that? Like we all, we all can be such a powerful tool to each other. Um, my bottom line as far as working my program is, you know, I have a sponsor. I check in with her at least once a week, usually twice. Um, I sponsor other women who check in with me twice a week. Three meetings a week is kind of my baseline. Minimum of two and two in each program. You know what? If you're in another program, the credits don't transfer. Like I thought maybe, you know, I'm working a kid's program over here. I, You know, maybe I'll just make this a supplemental. Su- the credits don't transfer. Like I have to work this program like my life depends on it. And, um, and I love it. And I love my sponsor. My sponsor has more commitments in this program than anyone I've ever met. And she's the busiest woman I know. So that I'm too busy excuse doesn't fly with her. And she is the most loving person I know, but will pull your covers in a heartbeat and tell you exactly what you need to hear. And she's done it. And I appreciate that because, you know, I buy my own BS all the time. I just do. Like, especially this one. Oh, I'm fine. Everything's good. I'm fine. I'm, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And especially right now, the grief thing is so weird. It's like sometimes I think I am fine, and then I'm doubled over in gut-wrenching grief, you know, sobbing, trying to catch my breath. I'm like, where did, whoa, where did that come from? And um, thank God for the tools of Overeaters Anonymous. You know, thank God for all of you and all of the love and support that I've had through all this. I kept, through the whole process of the last couple months, I kept thinking, oh, my God, what, how would I ever make it through this without all this love and support? How would I ever make it through this without all this love and support? And then I thought, why do you keep asking? You don't have to. You have all this love and support. You have all this around you. And, um, and I'm really grateful for it. Um, I'm grateful that after six weeks off work, I get to start a new project on Monday. And, you know, God is my employer today. I just get to suit up and show up and do the best job that I can do. When I was in the food, I did whatever I had to do to get by and keep you off my back and not get found out. You know, I was sure every day when I was in the food I was getting fired. Anyone else have that? Like, oh, my God, they're going to find out and fire me today. And just that overwhelming self-centered fear. And um, I got to go take a private. Some of my friends bought me some private Pilates sessions as I, you know, go through occupational therapy and recover. And I got to go have my first workout. And I got to be gentle with my body and take care of myself and just enjoy it and be in the process and not, like, go in there running and gunning like I'm taking over the world because that's what my disease wants to do. Like, hey, don't you know who I am? I'm going to crush it. And um, the difference between 
21-year-old Kim and 51-year-old Kim is when I was 21, I'd be like, oh, that hurts. I think there's something wrong with my neck. I'm going to keep doing this anyway. And now I'm like, ouch, okay, next, like moving on. And self-care is without a doubt one of the most important parts of my program today. Self-care is coming to meetings. Self-care is making outreach calls. Self-care is eating healthy food and telling myself positive affirmations. Self-care is exercise. Self-care is prayer and meditation. And self-care is letting the love in. Um, All I ever wanted was to feel part of. I felt apart from everyone everywhere my whole life. And I feel a part of, I, I just feel connected to God, to you, to nature. Like, I sound so Pollyanna, but that's exactly how I feel. I just feel connected in my whole life. And um, I owe my life to Overeaters Anonymous. You know, a few months ago, I had to, I was like eating clean and working out and praying and meditating, and, and my blood pressure was still high, still high, still high. And my doctor was finally like, both your parents have high blood pressure. Like, get over yourself and take the pill before you have a stroke. You know what I mean? And I'm so, no, I'm going to do it all natural. (laughs) So I started taking the blood pressure medication. Now it's totally normal at a very low dose. And I feel good. I don't get headaches. I don't get headaches. And uh, I don't feel as anxious. Well, go figure. Take your pill, Kim. So sometimes I'm still a little stubborn, but I love my life in recovery. I never take my abstinence for granted. This is one of, I have been battling my food addiction my entire life, and I never take a day for granted that food isn't kicking my butt. And I can't do it without all of you. I can't do it without the steps of Overeaters Anonymous. And I can't do it without just saying yes. Saying yes to speaking. Saying yes to sponsoring. Saying yes to the step work. Just And, and because I say yes to those things, I get to say yes to life. I have all these choices and options in recovery to say yes or no to. One, one trip to the Porto's Bakery and... I have no choices other than to chase that high. So I'm really grateful for my recovery. Um, If anyone has any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Um, And I repeat the question before the answer, right? So it's on the tape. Okay, does anyone have any questions? Sure, absolutely. So I grew up in a Pentecostal evangelical church. So the fire and brimstone, I, you know, I was sure at five years old I was going to hell because I stole a pack of gum at the five and dime. I, you know, it was punitive. My God was punitive and I was bad. I was a sinner and I was bad. And, you know, when I, I, first started the 12 steps I just let the group be my higher power because everyone in the room was doing something I wasn't capable of doing so that was a power greater than myself G.O.D. group of drunks Um, my relationship with God and my conception of God has continued to grow and change 
throughout my recovery. Um, and part of that has, you know, been being part of a spiritual program outside of program. But in program, just letting the love in and getting connected. Like I said, connected to you, connected to nature, connected to me today. My higher power is that energy that connects us all. It, it's love, it's joy, it's beauty, it's flowers, it's children, it's animals, it's laughter, it's recovery. Like all of those good things, that just that energy in the universe that ties us all together. And I always wanted to figure, I have to figure out exactly what, uh, how arrogant am I if I think I can figure out exactly what God is. And I think it's beautiful that we get to all have our own conception of God. And when my mom died, I was mad at God for a few days, and that was okay. God can take it. He's not afraid of me being mad at him. You know, it's just like us with each other. We get to unconditionally love each other no matter what, even kicking and screaming. Yeah, you know, it seems like this. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. How do I use? Well, the first question was my conception of my higher power today. The second question was how I use my higher power to help me through the difficulties in my life, both big and small. And my experience throughout my recovery has been that the small stuff has always been more challenging than the big stuff and harder for me to turn over. You know, like I turned over my other addictions a long time ago. I didn't want to turn over food because it's just food. I should be able to figure this out. I just need the right plan. And it's the same way with the guy not calling or, you know, the other girl getting the promotion at work. Like, those niggly things are what drive me crazy and that I'll, I'll think I have to figure out and muscle through. And eventually I'm willing to surrender those things, too. But the, the big stuff... It, it was so much easier because I didn't have a choice. Um, you know, prayer and meditation, I, I pray. And, you know, I used to think I had, I like took meditation class so I could do Vedic meditation and have my own mantra and do it right. And if you don't do it 20 minutes twice a day, it's not. If I just quiet my mind for a few minutes and listen for the answers, I get them. When I'm running around going, I wonder what God's will is. I wonder what God's will is. I wonder what God's will is. And don't get quiet. I can't hear it. So for me, just getting quiet for a few minutes and and being connected to all of you, like staying in the solution, asking for help, being of service to other people, like you are what reconnected me to God after I like shut shut the door on religion because of the way my childhood was, like just letting that loving energy back in my life um, and you know what I don't always turn it over perfectly I, sometimes I do it kicking and screaming and God, God's willing whenever I'm willing to turn it over and that's my time thank you all for letting me share